Well, let's take our Bibles and let's turn to Matthew chapter 6, shall we? And let's receive some instruction from God's Word today to strengthen us and to encourage us. We are working our way through the Gospel of Matthew, and we are in the Sermon on the Mount, so we're not stuck there. We're just uh, teaching our way there and letting the Word of God speak to us. And today, we find ourselves in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, uh, verses 16 through 18. Do you know that Jesus despised hypocrites? Jesus did, had no patience for people who pretended to be something they were not, especially if they were pretending to be godly and spiritual when really uh, they were uh, f- as far from that as could be. He often attacked the Pharisees in that way, and today our text challenges us to be very careful not to be hypocrites, not to put, have false motives or alternative attitudes for self-adulation when it comes to spiritual disciplines. In fact, in Matthew chapter 6, if you let your eyes go back to verse 1, you'll remember that this is the third, today is the third illustration that Jesus is using when in 6.1 he says to beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. In fact, he reminds us that if we do that, we have absolutely no reward from our Father in heaven. He then goes on to give three illustrations. Common disciplines in the Christian life, three practices that would have been very familiar to his audience back then, who were listening live and in person to the Sermon on the Mount, three practices that were highly abused by the Pharisees, who we imagine were slinking around and along the outskirts of this audience as Jesus is teaching. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness with any kind of false motive. And he uses three illustrations, and today is the third. The first one is in verse uh, 5, and the uh, first one is in verse 2, when he says, And when you give to the needy. So the first point that he made, and we've talked about this, is that you make sure that when you give your alms, that is providing food or money or provision for those who are in need, when you do this, do it quietly, do it secretly. Don't even let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. Do not give in such a way that people can look at you and be impressed by your giving. They shouldn't even know it. The second point begins in verse 5 when he says, and when you pray. So when you give and when you pray, and that opened up then some extensive teaching on prayer that included the Lord's Prayer that we dealt with two weeks ago. And the idea was, don't find yourself in public places trying to pray to impress other people. Go in secret, go to the inner room, go to places where no one else can see and pray to your Heavenly Father who sees in secret. So don't give, don't give to be seen by people, don't pray to be heard by people. And then today, our final third point that the Lord is going to make here on this aspect of authenticity in our spirituality, He is going to talk about fasting. This is really serious stuff. He's talking about, in the sense of fasting, almost in in a way of a Halloween mask, people are putting on a front letting everyone know that they're fasting. Let's read the text, and then let's discover uh, what the Bible has to say a little bit about this fasting. What did Jesus teach about it? What does the Bible say? Because 
we can acknowledge, can't we, that of all the spiritual disciplines we engage in, reading the Word and meditating and journaling and praying, fasting is perhaps the least familiar and the least common to us. And we're going to realize that there's a reason for that. And for some of you, fasting might be something you know nothing about. Let's read what our Lord says about it, and then let's take, it, take a look at it. This is Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 16. Jesus says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. So this is the pattern in all three illustrations, isn't it? When you give, when you pray, when you fast, don't do it to be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Well, Jesus has some confrontation for the audience there, confronting the reality that our hearts are pretty slippery deceptive, aren't they? That we can take even the most sacred and spiritual aspects of our relationship with God, giving to the poor, giving in an offering, praying, fasting, and we can do it all for self-adulation out of some kind of a bogus spiritual pride that others might look at us and say, whoa, so spiritual, so spiritual. Jesus condemns that. I want you to see that... um, that what Jesus is talking about here right away is, is fasting. Now you'll know, notice how the Lord opened up in verse 16. He just says, and when you fast. It might be interesting for you to know that, that we have, apart from these few verses, we have no commands about fasting. We have very little direct instruction about fasting. So fasting, by the way, means to abstain from eating food. That's what it means. Some of you, this might be a brand new idea for you. The reality that people, in a spiritual way, to somehow get God's attention, would fast. That is, we stop eating. And we, many people, when they practice it, will not eat food after, say, daybreak, and they will not eat again until after sunset. So that they will have at least one day, often they might drink water only, but they will abstain from eating their normal meals. Now, another thing that you need to think about is you have to be careful, um, because sometimes we play games with ourselves, and we have these little mechanisms that we think are kind of like a lever or something, and we jump up and pull the lever. And if we do this, heaven will open and God will pour out His blessing upon us. And fasting is not a lever or a pry bar to get God to do what we want Him to do. So you think, I can get God's attention really well if I say, Lord, did you notice I'm not eating today? I'm really serious. I really mean this. And yet, fasting is something that is practiced in Scripture Um, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. So to begin with, fasting is just depriving oneself of food or abstaining from eating food. Um, There really is only one place, by the way, in the Bible where fasting is directly commanded. And it's way back in the Old Testament in Leviticus chapter 16. And it has to do with the Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement was a very special day. 
uh, when the nation of Israel acknowledged its sinfulness before a holy God corporately. One of the things that they would do, and you've kind of heard about maybe uh, if you've been around Sunday school a little bit, or you maybe heard about the scapegoat. Remember the scapegoat? Where there would be two goats and the priest would put his head on the hands of one goat, and then he would, in a in a prayer before the congregation and before God, he would spiritually transfer the sins of the people onto the goat. All right, it, it, it was like a spiritual picture. And the goat then was released way out in the wilderness. You read Leviticus chapter 16, and there was quite a ritual. And the young priest who took him out there, he would have to go through, go through cleansing and burn his clothes and wash his clothes and things like that after he came back. And the idea was that the sins of the people had been transferred on the goat, and it was gone, never to be seen again. It's a picture of Christ taking our sin far as the east is from the west. But there was another goat, and the sin of the people were transferred on that goat. That goat was killed, and its blood flowed. As the Bible is clear that apart from the, apart from the shedding of blood, there's no removal of our sins. And on that day, that day of atonement, when they had the, the feature of these two specific goats and this ritual practice, the nation as a whole for that one day was called to fast and repent of their sins. Now that's an interesting note because throughout Scripture, if you study fasting, one of the things that you'll see is that fasting is not something we do in times of rejoicing. Fasting is always something that has to do with a great burden, has to do with times of difficulty. That's going to be reflected in our Lord's teaching in this passage today. There is another place, only one other place in the, in the Gospels where Jesus talked about fasting, and it's when, the, when the, he was criticized for his disciples not fasting. He said the, the Pharisees fast, and the disciples of John fast, but your disciples don't fast. And do you remember this odd response that Jesus gave? He said, why would the bridegrooms fast when they're with the groom? Or why would the, uh, why would the attendants, see, I said that incorrectly, but why would the attendants, why would the, those fast while the groom is still with them? Alright, if Jesus was the groom and the Israel his bride or the church his bride, and he was present with them, and that was a reference of the fact that they would have all understood that when, when a wedding ceremony was going on, um, many of the traditional daily prayers, and, and even if fasting, if you were involved in fasting, you wouldn't do that during a wedding ceremony. You just don't do that. All right? So it's kind of interesting to put these details together and to recognize. So we notice right away that Jesus says, and when you fast. The Bible doesn't give us a prescription for how often someone should fast. Jesus was never critical of somebody for fasting, but he never commanded anybody to fast. We do know and remember that he fasted himself. He fasted for 40 days in the wilderness before the launch, right at the beginning of his public earthly ministry. You'll also notice in Scripture, if you study fasting, that fasting is always associated with prayer. And I want to be really clear, because we live in, a, in an era uh, where a lot of funny spirituality is infiltrating everyday life in our culture. Here's what I mean by that. Um, fasting in Scripture is clearly connected with praying. You will never see in Scripture where there was just some fasting going on. It's always fasting and praying. All right? 
So fasting is not something that is, like I said, a lever to get God's attention or to open the gates of heaven. Fasting is for me to be reminded to to connect with God. We can't impress God. And fasting in and of itself in Scripture is never presented as something that is helpful or that it somehow helps your prayers be heard better. Okay? And it's always just connected with a time of prayer and a season of deep, serious prayer. We live in an era where in the fitness world and in exercise and and weight loss, a lot of people are recommending meditation and fasting and all of the residual positive effects of fasting. That's all fine and good. That's not what the Bible's talking about. And it's only fine and good if you're not involved in some level of trying to find some kind of inner strength and, and looking inside yourself for help. Listen, do you know what you find when you look inside yourself? You find a dirty, rotten sinner. When you want to sit around and meditate and contemplate about what's going on on the inside of you, that apart from a regenerated heart and apart from the washing of regeneration that goes on, it's pretty dirty and rotten that goes on inside. And so to sit around cross-legged and humming and holding your fingers and meditating and fasting, it's pretty pagan is what it is. And it, and it elevates people to a place they don't belong. You got to be on your guard. You got to be discerning. You want to see the world through a biblical lens. So the idea in the passage here as we as we go on is that as Jesus is referencing the third of these three spiritual aspects or f- three practices, um, he's talking about fasting. And this idea is that people would fast and it was a common practice and they would do it giving up food that it would drive them to a deeper level of sincere prayer at a time of urgency. So let's take a look at what Jesus says here and let's break it down and, and uh, understand what his points are. The first thing I want you to see is that Jesus is basically confrontive with his words. He's confrontive. And the first thing he's saying to the people is that when you fast and and do it for other people, you are lacking, number one, you are lacking in spiritual integrity. If you are fasting and you are doing it in an obvious way, number one, you are lacking in spiritual integrity. In fact, he uses this strong word, you're like a hypocrite. And when you fast, look at the passage, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Remember this word hypocrite comes from the Greek stage. It comes from the play actors of the day, remember? And they would have face masks with a stick on them. And as they acted out their story, they would reach down and pick one up. And they would act out the part. And when they would put it down and pick up another one, and they would become another character. And they would do that. And they're acting out the story. And everybody enjoyed it. And they're picking up these faces, these masks on a stick. And, and, and so just a few people could act out the whole story by changing characters. And that was a Greek, the description of that is the Greek word that we get our English word, hypocrite. The idea is that one minute, this is who I am. And then the next minute, this is who I am. But who's behind the mask isn't who's in front of the mask at all. And so Jesus is talking. They knew, they understood exactly what he was talking about. So what you're doing is if you are, if you are doing this to be seen by people, it's like you're on some kind of a stage holding up your pick, holding up your face, putting it on, and it's this gloomy face so that everybody can say, ooh, he's fasting. Because this was commonly enough practice, even though there were 
different prescribed fast days on the religious calendar um, through the teachings of the rabbis, through the practice and then the malpractice of the Pharisees. Um, many people, though there's no prescription and no command, many people in this culture and at this time when Jesus was teaching fasted twice a week, two different days a week. And it became very popular to fast in the sense of be seen in public. People could recognize as they walked down the street, ooh, that guy's fasting today. They could tell by the look. And the look was that they were gloomy in their faces. The idea of gloomy there is the word that it comes from a word that means from suffering. And so people would be downcast, make it look, distort their faces, and they would look gloomy, the ESV translates it. The idea is a suffering look, a weighed down look. You're overwhelmed. So you got your gloomy face. You pick up that mask and you go out in public and you have your gloomy, suffering face. Ooh, he's fasting. The second thing he says is that they also disfigure their faces. They disfigure their faces. That literally means to make your face unattractive. Make it unattractive. The NAS translates that to neglect their appearance. Some commentaries reference the idea that what Jesus could be referencing here is that was a common practice, and you will also see this in Scripture, is that when people were in a time of prayer and fasting, especially if it was connected with mourning, or grieving, they would go to their cook fire, and it was common in those days, not common for us to cook on a cook fire, but everybody in their little kitchenette had a little cook fire going, and the ashes would be cold, they would take and scoop up some of the cold ashes, and they would rub them on their faces and the backs of their hands, and they would color their faces. The idea there could be that that's a reference to disfiguring, or making your face unattractive, putting ashes on your face. And Jesus condemned it. So what are you doing? Picking up your mask, get your gloomy face, come over here, put your ash face on, put your, put your face on that says that you're suffering, put your face on that's unattractive. They wouldn't wash their hair because it's inferred later. Jesus is going to say, when you do fast, wake up in the morning and carry out your normal routines. Put oil on, wash your hair, wash your face, dress appropriately. Don't let anybody know what's going on. Okay, you don't have to do that. But this is the idea that they were lacking in spiritual integrity. They weren't doing this for the Lord. They weren't doing this because their heart was burdened before the Lord. They were doing this so that people would look at them and think, Wow, what a spiritual person. I wish I could be like that. Or I guess they imagine that's what people are thinking. It's likely that a lot of people were thinking, That guy's fasting and he's making a fool out of himself. But isn't it funny how we can imagine what other people might be thinking about us and we lift ourselves up with those imaginations? It's all just a hollow shell. And Jesus says, don't be a hypocrite. You're lacking in your spiritual integrity. The next thing he says about a person who does that is that you are just looking for spiritual publicity. Number two, you're looking for spiritual publicity. Look what he says. He says, They disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. It's all about publicity. And notice what Jesus says right there. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. And the idea there of the verb receive their reward in the Greek comes from a technical term that means literally to be paid in full. So if you're a hypocrite... Fasting to be seen by people and not by God with a gloomy face, with the suffering face, with the unkept face, and you're doing it 
to have this spiritual publicity go out so that people think you're, you're, you've received your reward. Whatever the people think about you, that's your reward and you have been paid in full. It is absolutely meaningless to God. And that leads us to the third point of Jesus' teaching, which is the point of the passage. And he makes this point, that the main lesson, number three, the main lesson is about spiritual authenticity. The main lesson of this passage is about spiritual authenticity. Look what he says. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Just get up and go about your normal practices. Okay, anointing their heads with oil, their hair, doing oil in their hair would have been normal, washing their face, that your fasting, here it is, might not be seen by others, but by your Father, your Heavenly Father, he's referencing, who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The main lesson is this of spiritual authenticity across the board, isn't it? Whether we're giving, whether we're praying, whether we're fasting, it is that God knows your heart. People see the outside, and it is meaningless. But God knows your heart. God sees every crevice of it. God knows everything about everything you're thinking. And not only that, what God sees in your heart is what really matters about you. You realize that what God sees every second of every day, when he looks into the cracks and crevices of the depths of your heart, is absolutely the most important thing about you. That is the lesson of spiritual authenticity that Jesus is teaching. Stop posturing. Stop publicizing it. Stop doing it for people. And that's why he said, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. That's why he said, when you pray, go into the most inner part, inner room, to a secret place when nobody even sees you going there. And when you fast, get up in the morning and no one should be able to tell that you're fasting. Do not draw attention to yourself and your father who sees in secret. He knows what's going on in your heart. He will reward you in secret. Do you believe that? Well, what this does in my mind is it also leaves us with a few questions. That concludes this trilogy, as it were, of these three illustrations of public spirituality, which is meaningless, and and the lesson on spiritual authenticity, which is everything that matters about us, is what Jesus is teaching in this passage. I'd like to answer just a couple more quick questions uh, since this topic of fasting is part of the passage. And then in just a few minutes, we'll segue to the Lord's table. One of the first questions that comes to me, to my mind, is, number one, is it appropriate for believers today to fast? Is it appropriate for us today in the church to fast? Okay, now remember, we have no specific commands about fasting. There are no passages that you can turn to other than what we've just looked at and then illustrations about fasting. But there's no direct instruction about the how to or the when to or the why to exactly. It's just there. It was practiced. So when the Bible doesn't give us a direct command like it does for giving and it does for praying, and this is exactly why fasting is minimized in the church, because praying, we have direct command. Praying, we're told, pray without ceasing. Do this. Here's how you pray. Pray like this. Pray for these people. And we have lots of models in Scripture as to how to pray, right? Okay. Same thing with giving. We're commanded, Old Testament and New Testament, give, give. Here's how you give. Here's what to give. 
Here's your motive for giving. Lots of clear instruction. When it comes to fasting, it's just there in the passages. But there's no instruction to the church on fasting specifically. So we ask the question, I see it going on in Scripture. Am I supposed to do it today? And the short answer for this hour, I would say, is yes. Why wouldn't we? It's modeled in Scripture, so why wouldn't we do that as well? However, based on our Lord's teaching from today, two two reminders if you want to fast. A, don't announce it, don't talk about it, and B, don't show it. No one should know. So you make up your mind you're going to fast, right? And you're at work. And the guys come around and they say, hey, we're all going to Five Guys today. You love Five Guys. You already know from your pastor's in-depth Bible teaching that the New Testament releases us on occasion to eat at Five Guys. (laughs) You have the liberty. And so... Five guys, I'm fat. And so there's your opportunity, right? There's your opportunity to let everybody in the office know. I'd love to go, but I'm fasting today. No, you can't do that. You've ruined it. The other thing you don't want to do, though, is you don't want to make a vow before the Lord that I need to fast today. And it's kind of like, Lord, I'm going to fast today. I'm going to be. And the idea is that as I abstain from eating, that my hunger for food will drive me to to remember what it is that is the great burden of my day that I would remember this and that it's so important to me. So don't make a vow in the morning and then when they come through at lunchtime to take you to Five Guys or pick you up at Five Guys or whatever it is you like, to all of a sudden decide your fast is over. Now you've made a vow and you didn't keep it. So you got to think ahead. Should we fast today? I see no reason you shouldn't fast today. Don't, don't talk about it. Don't announce it. Think carefully about what you're doing when you do it. It's between you and the Lord. Second question. Can a fast involve abstaining from something other than food? Can a fast involve abstaining from something other than food? I don't think that we have any models in Scripture of this, but I think the answer is yes. That that could be true. The model of Scripture is always that a fast has to do with food. But you know, for some of us, if we were really burdened, if, the, if we really needed an in-depth time to pray, we really needed some time to just be with the Lord, it seems to me that maybe an electronic fast could do it. Say, okay, Lord, no Facebook today, and no email today, and no internet access today. Today is my time with you before the Lord. Don't announce it, don't talk about it, but I don't see why a fast like that couldn't happen. Now, you'll notice... Now, going into Easter and Lent season, that there are people who will, in some churches, smear ashes on their forehead. But we don't do that, and we don't do that specifically because of this passage. The idea is we're not to show it. It wouldn't be wrong to do a fast for Lent. We don't practice that. We don't build it up. We don't talk about it. It's not part of our religious calendar. It's not wrong to do that. If you want to do that before the Lord. Is it appropriate to fast today? I see no reason why not. The idea of a fast is that my, my heart is so burdened for something that all day long I want to remove something from my life that is part of the staple, part of the sustenance of my life, part of the grid of my life. And when I remove that, it really helps me just realize that there's something much more important going on. What I want to conclude with might be the most helpful part of the, passage, of the message today. It's the third and final question that I want to answer before we have communion together, before we leave. 
And it's this question. So then, when is it appropriate to fast? When is it appropriate to fast? If you haven't been taking notes, you might want to grab a pen in your bulletin and jot down these points because I think it would make a good little Bible study for you to just take time this week and get your Bible and just read these passages and ask you and, and look at the examples. See, we don't have direct command, but we have models. We have examples. And that's what these are drawn for. I want to tell you publicly, um, and disclaim on this list that I'm going to give you, that I found it in Dr. John MacArthur's New Testament commentary on page 402 in his New Testament commentary, Matthew 1 through 7. And I wanted to give him the credit for the ideas. I have changed them a little bit, but that's where I got this material, and I thought it was so helpful that I wanted to share it with you as the conclusion of our message today. So when is it appropriate to fast? Number one, if you study scripture, you will find that it is appropriate to fast during times of deep grief and sorrow. During times of deep grief and sorrow. A biblical example of that would be David in 2 Samuel chapter 3, verses, verses 35 and on. Chapter 3 of 2 Samuel, David uh, had just lost his closest general and loyal comrade, Abner. He had been murdered by Joab. Another general. And these guys uh, were pretty ruthless. And this was not what David wanted to happen. But Abner had killed the brother of this guy. And then that guy called him over out by the gate, wanted to whisper in his ear. And then he stuck him, stabbed him in the stomach and killed him. When David found out about that, he went into a season of deep grieving. You have to know that, that Abner was somebody who had protected David, had given his life for David. And David, in this season of deep grief went into a time of fasting. You'll see it in the passage. Similarly, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, 2 Samuel chapter 12, you'll see that when David, coming out of his season of sin, when he had the murderous, adulterous affair with Bathsheba, that the little baby that was conceived in that affair was sick unto death. And what does David do? In his grief, he goes into a time of fasting. You'll even see that he put on sackcloth and he used ashes. You'll see that commonly in Scripture. I imagine many of you have been in a time of such deep grief where emotionally you were so devastated and the loss in your life or the, or the overwhelming grief of your life already literally took away your appetite. Have you been there? And sometimes we always want to try to get people like that to eat. It's okay, just let them go hungry. It's, part of, it's almost part of like a natural fast that kicks in. It's good for them to drink, of course, and hydrate. But there's nothing wrong in a time of deep grief to just not eat and then to even make the decision, I, I can't eat. All I can do is just be before the Lord right now. And you'll find in Scripture there are multiple illustrations of that. Number two, in times of extreme danger. In times of extreme danger. When there is seemingly absolutely no human solution. And you know this is it. And we've seen multiple examples of this in Scripture. One of the main ones that you'll enjoy reading is 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 3 about Jehoshaphat as king of Jerusalem, overwhelmed by the enemy. He calls the entire congregation of Israel together, men, women, and children, and they pray and they fast before the Lord because they are in such extreme danger. You'll see it in Esther chapter 4. Esther chapter 4 and verse 16. The third time when you could go to fasting based on biblical example is when we are disgraced and overwhelmed by the guilt of our own sin. 
when we are disgraced and we're overwhelmed by our own stupid sin. We've all been there, haven't we? It's like, what is wrong with me? We have the example of David with Bathsheba that I already quoted. If you look at Daniel's life, you'll note that Daniel was praying and fasting for forgiveness of sin for the nation of Israel. King Ahab, King Ahab did this. He repented. He was a pagan king, but he truly repented for a short season in 1 Kings chapter 21. 1 Kings chapter 21. And Ahab fasted before the Lord in grief over his own sin. The most familiar to us would probably be Nineveh. Nineveh as a nation and as a king. The evangelist Jonah and prophet Jonah went and preached, finally got there and preached. They repented. The king calls the entire nation to repent. And in chapter 3, verses 5 and 7 of the book of Jonah, 3, 5 and 7, you'll see that they fasted over the grief and sorrow of their sin before a holy God. Number four, when is it appropriate to fast? When discernment for God's will is needed. When discernment for God's will is needed. This is a time when you are desperately seeking to know what God has for you. Daniel chapter 9, read that whole chapter into the beginning of chapter 10. Daniel 9, verses 2, 2 and 3, 9, 21 and 22, 10, 3. Daniel's reading the scroll of Jeremiah's prophecy. And he recognizes that the limits have come on God's judgment on Israel. And he, he's trying so much to discern what God's plan is and what God's doing next. And he goes into a time of fasting. It's just clear as can be. He fasts because he wants to know God's will. And then finally, fifthly, at, at defining moments and major decision points. At defining moments in your life and major decision points, it's appropriate to fast. This would be the example of Jesus. In Matthew, earlier in the Gospel, 40 days in the wilderness fasting. This was at the threshold of his public ministry. Excuse me. <coughs> this would be at the threshold of his public ministry. And Paul and Barnabas, we just talked about this at the um, ordination service for Tom Jesserin in Acts chapter 13 at the church at Antioch. The whole church fasted and prayed and then they appointed missionaries. They knew that God was doing something special. This was a defining point of their church. This was something new that was going to happen. And they put it together for a major decision. They called the church to a fast. And then the Holy Spirit made it clear to them to send out Saul or Paul and Barnabas. Nehemiah is as clear as could be in Nehemiah chapter 1. He becomes brokenhearted over the condition of the walls of Jerusalem. He gets a report back from his brother and his father. He realizes that something has to be done. He sits down to pray. He weeps. He, he's burdened. And he has a decision to make. He has the defining point of his life. You wouldn't know about Nehemiah probably if it weren't for that prayer and that time when God burdened him. And he fasted. And he discerned that now was the time for him to go. And take a leave of absence as cupbearer to the king and rebuild the walls. Notice in all five of these examples, they are fasting is always associated with deep driven prayer before God. It is also totally identified with a humble, obedient servant. Humility and obedience are also associated with prayer and fasting. It's not something you would do flippantly. It's not something you do in a carnal state. But in brokenness before the Lord, 
It's never a celebration. It's always a burden to pray and fast. So in conclusion, let's ask ourselves these questions. Number one. Number one, am I guilty in any way as we come out of this trilogy passage, these three points that Jesus made, giving, praying, fasting. Am I guilty personally in any way of using spiritual disciplines for public impressions? Am I using godliness or spirituality to adulate, bring adulation to myself publicly? What's my motive for giving, for praying, for fasting? Number two, am I regularly testing the motives of my heart before the Lord, knowing that He sees everything? Am I regularly testing the motives of my heart, acknowledging that God looks right into my heart? Communion in just a minute is going to be a great time to examine your heart this morning. Finally, number three, could it be that fasting would be helpful to a more committed prayer life for some of us? Could it be that some of us have seasons in our life where we should practice fasting? Don't talk about it. Don't announce it. Don't show it. But maybe you will find that that will be a helpful practice in your life. Let's bow in prayer. I'm going to ask Al to come lead us then in a couple stanzas of When I Survey the Wonders Cross. And as we sit quietly, the men will serve us the elements. We will partake of communion tonight, this afternoon before we depart. Father, would you please do a work in our hearts? Would you please help us to overcome any disingenuous hypocritical activity that would relate in any way to spirituality and godliness in the Christian life. Would you show us how to just be humble and obedient and authentic before you? Help us to live with the reality that you look into the crevices of our hearts and you see everything that's there. And even in these quiet minutes now for the next 10 or 12 minutes as we sit quietly Would you please help us to examine our hearts and go to the cross. And oh, we thank you for the cross, Lord, and we thank you for the shed blood of Christ. I thank you that our Lord was willing to submit to your will, to go to the cross, to be our sin bearer. And as we pause for remembrance in the busyness of our lives, would you make this a meaningful time for us? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.